Starting in mid-September, almost all employers in New York needed to begin posting the salary range with job postings that they're looking to fill. The transparency requirement stems from legislation approved in 2022, which is designed to address systemic pay inequity. For more on the implementation of the law, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Frank Kerbin, Director of the Center for Human Resources at the Business Council of New York State. Welcome back to the show, Frank. Thank you. Glad to be here. So for starters, what are the situations where this law would take effect? Can you talk about the uh, employers that qualify and the situations that warrant uh, some sort of broad salary range disclosure? Sure. Uh, as you mentioned, it takes effect September 17th. It applies to all employers with four or more employees, which is a good number of employers in New York State. They are required to post a good faith minimum and maximum salary range for which they are willing to hire a position. They have to post this range when they're advertising positions externally, the traditional markets on Indeed or in the newspapers. Mm -hmm. People still do that. As well as internal promotional opportunities as well. So anytime they post a position, advertise a position as being available, they need to post a good faith minimum and maximum salary range that they are willing to hire that person at. And you noted internally as well. So it's like you just said, promotions, transfers, that type of thing? Correct. That's that's what the statute says. On September 13th, the Department of Labor p- uh, published some proposed regulations to try to clarify uh, what all these terms mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, there will be a 60-day comment period on those, and then the DOL will evaluate those comments and post final regulations at some point in the future, more than likely after the first of the year. So for now, as employers, what we have are the statute and the proposed regulations. The statute says internal positions as well. As I've talked to the DOL and I've seen the proposed regulations, there could be some exceptions where I see, hey, you're the best teller I have here on this teller line. I'm going to make you a senior teller, uh, give you an increase in pay. You would not have to post a salary Mm. range for that position. However, if someone left, vacated a position in your organization and you had to post it, advertise it, let your other employees know it's available, you would have to post a salary range in that case. Well, speaking of the Department of Labor, what do you think of the outreach that they've been doing leading up to this law taking effect? Do you think they've been doing a good enough job making sure that employers are cognizant uh, of this rule change? Well, just two things. One, I I give the department credit for reaching out to the business community. We've worked with them a lot since the the law was passed, uh, since June, working on the proposed regulations. So I give them credit in reaching out to business groups to try to formulate these regulations, proposed regulations. Uh, In terms of their uh, normal efforts and outreach to employers, I'm a little less complimentary. I think most small employers are in the dark, and and, and that's really one of the risks of this law. 455,000 businesses in New York State, 451,000 have less than 20 employees. So they don't have an HR person. They don't have someone who is monitoring these, these bill signings. They might catch it on TV or your show. But they're not likely to get this information anywhere else other than the business council or, or, or some chamber of commerce. So they don't know about it. And that's one of the risks. They could be posting, putting up a sign in their pizza shop today that says, uh, now hiring $15 and up. That would be in violation of the law. Any aggrieved individual, and that's broadly defined as any applicant or potential employee, that's everybody, right, uh, could bring an action against, the, against this employer. Uh, there are liquidated damages for this. It's still to be determined how that's going to be enforced. But uh, that's the real risk to small businesses is that they don't know about it. And the department tries, but they don't. there's no system in place where the department reaches out to every employer and tells them, hey, here's the new law. 
uh, employers need to find this on their own. From a practical perspective, in terms of dealing with non-compliance, whether it, because of its ignorance or because of other reasons, I have to imagine, though, there's going to be at least a grace period or a learning curve when it comes to state regulators based on how they approach a, a lot of regulations. It seems to be education first and then penalize second. Sure. I mean, the department always says, you know, that they, they understand the regulations were posted four days before the, you know, the, the effective date of the law. So they understand there's some unanswered questions about what these terms mean. You know, and, and I take them at their word for that. But if, if I'm in a business, the DOL is an enforcement agency, right? I mean, they enforce the laws. Uh, if I'm a small employer, I'm not going to say, well, I'll sit tight and wait to see what the regulations say. You need to comply today. And failure to comply can, today can, if someone is out there, an interested party, an aggrieved party, they can bring action today. So regardless of what the DOL says in, in terms of their enforcement, you're going to have private entities and organizations out there doing enforcement. One of the, one of the, in the definition of aggrieved individuals, of course, labor organizations are specifically named. Organized labor could be out actively looking for violators. So the DOL enforcement's one thing, but individual civil enforcement's another thing, and that's effect, in effect now. In addition to just knowing about this requirement, are there other practical challenges for employers who are aware of this requirement and are looking to implement it that you're hearing about from the, the business perspective? Sure. From, from the smaller employers, which again is the bulk of employers in New York State, you know, salary ranges are a complicated science. I mean, in the world of human resources, it's just that. It's a science compensation administration, right? I could be pulling off the top of my head pay ranges that may not have any basis in history or value or internal equity or external competitiveness. It's a, it's a sophisticated science. There's a risk that an employer uh, without in-house expertise could put in a salary range that on its face could be discriminatory, right? For this position, my salary range is this. Someone could say, look, all your other positions that are dominated by men, let's mm -hmm. say, or non-minorities are this and are higher. Is that it's on its face evidence of discrimination. So there's the first challenge, right? That it's a complicated concept, pay ranges. Larger organizations, you know, we've had, we had large members tell us from the onset when this bill was proposed, which is why we, we opposed it. That's fine. We won't hire any senior positions in New York State anymore. We have headquarters in Charlotte or Virginia or Texas. Uh, next time we hire a senior VP, they're going to be reporting and working out of those offices. So, you know, the real-world application of this, the, the impact of this, it puts New York employees at a disadvantage in some cases. Uh, large organizations that can will place positions somewhere else. And that's one of the things we look at when we look at any of these laws that, that impact businesses is, you know, it's fine for New York to be a leader in, in these things, but you don't want to be an outlier. And as, as an outlier, it could impact job growth and business growth in New York State. Is New York an outlier in this? Because it was my understanding that as of this summer, uh, nationally, about a quarter of the workforce lived uh, in a state or regulation that had some sort of salary disclosure. And it seems like there is a, a ripple effect taking effect. So it doesn't necessarily seem like we are out of step with, say, the entire country. And it seems more like we're catching on to a, a trend. So is it realistic to think that employers are going to be 
posting jobs outside of New York as this trend maybe gains steam? Yeah, well, there are eight states, I think, as we speak, have these laws in effect. There's some other municipalities that do. Well, New York City had one that predates New York State. New York City had one that took effect last November. Uh, so we have you know, eight states and several municipalities that have these laws in effect. But it's not Charlotte, North Carolina. It's not others, these Texas, these other states where mm-hmm. we already have a, a trend of losing business and population to. And in terms of the compliance with the range, the language makes reference to good faith. Is that enough uh, of a leeway for employers in terms of wiggle room to accommodate the different type of applicants that might apply for a job and the different responsibilities that might come with a job depending on the candidate? And, and that was one of our issues with the way the law is drafted. Good faith, obviously, is a very subjective term to put into a statute. I think the DOL did a good job of it in the regulations explaining what good faith may, means. It gives some examples of good faith and some examples of bad faith. I think we all recognize bad faith when we see it, right? If it says $1 to a $1 million, we can see that that's obviously an attempt to, to circumvent the law. It's just one of those vagaries of the law that makes it difficult. And I think after the comment period, after the DOL evaluation period, when we get final regs, we'll have some more guidance on that. But employers know good faith, you know, and, and, and those employers who want to comply with the law, and that's all employers, they, all business council members anyway, want to comply with the law, and they will act in good faith and, and post good faith ranges. If I post a range and I have an applicant who exceeds all my expectations, right? I, I wasn't expecting to get this applicant. This guy's a superstar. Uh, I want to offer him or her beyond what I offered. The regulations allow that. The proposed regulations allow that. So even though you post a good faith range, the proposed regulations do give you a little leeway and flexibility in that. The initial legislation is in response to issues of, of pay inequity that have arisen in part due to a lack of awareness of what people are making for different jobs. And you talked about uh, earlier the idea that certain jobs might have gravitated towards, say, men and the way they were paid were reflective of that and the sort of the old ways of thinking about who should make what. Do you think this is going to cause any sort of internal reflection for businesses as they begin this process? Do you think this could be a bit of an eye-opening experience for some employers? Uh, Well, it's been unlawful to make paid distinctions on age, race, and sex since 1963, right? Uh, We understand that a pay gap exists. The advocates will point to this as being a factor that the transparency shining light on pay practices could, could impact that. I'm not so sure that there's evidence to support that. The federal government has had pay transparency for a long time, and uh, the gap hasn't disappeared. You know, it's, it's, it's narrowed as it has for everybody over the last 30 years, but it hasn't disappeared, which lay, lends one to think that there are multiple factors at play here, right? So it, it's not just pay transparency. It's all these other things you mentioned, traditionally male jobs, traditionally female jobs, and what they pay. Those are all things that need to be looked at and addressed I think the advocates are putting a lot of hope and weight into pay transparency to solving a a very complicated problem. And again, that's fine. And on its face, it seems like a pretty benign way to start that conversation. But the real world application to New York employers is that small employers are going to face litigation and additional costs of doing business in New York. Large employers are going to choose to to cite their highest paid employees or executives somewhere else. So there are there are 
you know, consequences uh, to, to this as well. It's not as benign on its surface as everybody seems to think it is. Well, how will you judge the effectiveness of this law if there is no dramatic increase, say, in litigation, if we aren't losing uh, the C-suite executives to other states in a meaningful way, at least compared to the trends we're seeing now? Does that mean this law is okay after, say, a year? Those are big ifs, but if we concede those, things don't happen, and uh, the pay gap narrows, then congratulations, it worked. Um, I think, again, that this is one factor in the pay gap that exists and we, you know, other factors. We need to continue to work towards eliminating that gap, no question. Um, but at what cost? And maybe this is a, a problem that's calling for a national solution, right? That maybe uh, a federal pay transparency law would have been less impactful on New York than this would have been. Well, we've been speaking with Frank Kerbin. He is the director of the Center for Human Resources at the Business Council of New York State. Frank, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capitol Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.